This morning's reading is taken from Romans 7, verses 1 to 6. Released from the law, bound to Christ. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, I wonder what you think of when you think of religion. What do you think of when you think of religion? Do you think of how people dress, how they might cover their hair, how they many times a day that they might pray? We do tend to think about rules and how strict people are in keeping the rules. But what about you? Have you got any fixed ideas about the rules of how you should live as a Christian? If you have rules connected to your faith that the Bible doesn't support or require you to keep, you may actually be guilty of a self-imposed legalism, or you may have allowed your culture or your church to impose those rules upon you, and that too is legalism, where we are attempting to have a spiritual game, be that getting saved, be that sanctification, through keeping rules, whether those be the rules that God has given, or whether those be the rules that we have invented ourselves. The problem with these external rules is that when we keep them, we feel okay about ourselves. And sometimes when we feel okay about ourselves, we may be inclined to criticize others who don't keep the rules that we have imposed upon ourselves. I remember listening to a man saying that he was speaking to a, a group of ministers, he's a minister himself, and he was telling us that we should all be up at five o'clock in the morning to pray. Now, where did he find that in the Bible? It may be fine to do that, and that may be a pattern of life that he has found useful, but the moment that you begin to impose that upon someone else where you do not have a warrant from God's word 
then that is legalism. And we should not seek to bind the conscience of another person by something that does not come from the Word of God. Feeling good about ourselves by keeping our rules and being critical of others can give us a false sense of our own spirituality. We feel good because we abstain from certain practices and we perform other duties. The problem arises when this self-righteousness, when that attitude, that self-righteous attitude, when that covers over other problems that may reside in our hearts. Because I'm maybe getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray, and I don't, but if I had that as an example of something that I did, I maybe get up every morning at 5 o'clock to pray and think, what a great fellow I am. What a great Christian I am. That I have done this every morning at 5 o'clock. And there could be envy, there could be jealousy, there could be bitterness in my heart that I overlook because I have been patting myself on the back for my little rule that I have invented, that I have imposed upon myself, that I have kept, that makes me feel good about myself. Well, really still in my heart there are many things that really ought to be dealt with. Paul deals here with our relationship with the rules or the law in this chapter. Now there's some debate over exactly what is the law that Paul is referring to here in this in Romans 7. Is it the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments? Or is it any kind of law that we might impose upon ourselves or have imposed upon us? Now, my personal view on it is that the law here refers to the Old Testament law, but also a myriad of rules and regulations that have been built up around the Word of God that are actually no part of God's law. Whether you take this more general view that I favor or restrict it to the Old Testament law, it doesn't really materially change the message of the chapter because Paul is concerned about how the law is used. How do we use it? How do we apply it? What purpose do we put it to? There were people who taught that you were justified by keeping the law. That is, you become, they taught that you become a Christian by keeping the law. And that is clearly wrong. There were others who said, no, we don't believe that you can be justified, that you can have salvation by keeping the law, but we are sanctified, we are made more holy by keeping the law. In the evangelical world, that second problem is what tends to affect most people. They do accept that they are saved by grace, but then they want to live the Christian life 
by keeping a set of rules. Paul is not saying that we should abandon all the rules and the commandments. What Paul is dealing with here is the problem of trying to obtain a spiritual benefit through the primary means of keeping the law, whether that spiritual benefit is associated with justification or sanctification. The goal that Paul has for us in these six verses is summarized for us there in verse 6. But now, as things are with you as a Christian, this is the reality. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But now, we have been released from the law and we serve in the new way of the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, why would you want to go back? Why on earth would you ever want to do that? Why would you go back to your rules and your laws to try to be more holy by keeping those laws when we have been set free to serve in this new way of the Spirit? The goal is to understand that we have been released from the law to serve in this new way. If we have been set free so that we can serve in this new way of the Holy Spirit, why would we want to go back? But that is our tendency. We have rules about the food that we eat, about the movies that we won't watch, music that we won't listen to. And because we abstain from all of these things, we feel that we're doing okay. Oh, there's a set of movies and we don't watch them. Well, you may be right. That may be a proper judgment to make. But if that becomes the means by which you are attempting to be holy, then you have made a wrong use of those rules. But that is our tendency. The little tick box. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I did this. I did this. I did this. I must be all right. I'm quite a good Christian. And that's what Paul is trying to warn us against. There are some times when some matter of concern requires of us that we spend more time in prayer, you may decide that you are going to fast. You're not going to prepare meals. You're not going to have meal time in order that you can spend more time in prayer. The danger is you then become proud of your fasting. And you let as many people as possible know that you have been fasting. The reason to fast is not to improve the efficacy of your prayers 
or to make your prayers more acceptable to God. The reason to fast is to create more time to enable you to pray. But you then use up the time instead of praying by letting people know why I'm fasting. I've been fasting for this last five days. Oh well, good for you. Why are you here telling me about this? Worse than that, at the end of your fast, you tell people how you have managed to secure certain answers from God and the implication that you're trying to make is that you have secured these answers because of your fasting. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for standing on the street corners praying so that everyone could see them. There they are, standing on the street corner of the high street. What godly men they are. They've been there for two hours, their heads bowed, their eyes closed, and they are praying. And then there are others who, when they fast, they make themselves look ill. Now, if you're a man, you know how to make yourself look ill. You know, you get a sniffle. I've got man flu. I'm not feeling very well. How do I know this? Well, I'll let you guess that one. I am not a very good patient. But these people, what they did is they made themselves look ill. Oh, I'm not feeling too well. I'm, I'm fasting. And Jesus said, wash your face, brighten yourself up so that no one knows that you're doing that. Because what they were doing was they were seeking to secure a spiritual benefit through this keeping of a rule of fasting. And the danger is that that kind of pride can divert our attention from other areas of failure in our lives. The second telltale sign of legalism is that we become critical of other people. That person there, I've never heard them say that they fasted. They don't fast. What kind of Christian are they? They're not as good a Christian as I am. I fast, they don't. And we begin to feel proud about ourselves. If that's what's happening, the alarm bell should ring. It should draw our attention to the fact that we may have slipped into legalism. I'm glad I don't dress like that. I'm glad I don't eat that kind of meat. I'm glad that we don't watch that kind of movie or listen to that kind of song. Now, there's definitely some movies that we ought not to watch, songs that we ought not to listen to. But that is not a means of us becoming holy, of us becoming righteous. A third area where we can see that legalism has come into our lives is we don't like to admit to our own failures. You see, I've got all my rules. And everybody knows about my rules. About the things that I do. This is what makes me holy. This is what makes me a real good Christian. And then, inevitably... 
I find that I cannot keep my own rules. And when I fail, I know that I have damaged my public reputation and I try and cover it up because we don't like to admit our own failures. Fourthly, we can become very, very discouraged because we've got so many rules and inevitably we will break our own rules and end up discouraged and depressed because there is a new way of serving in the Holy Spirit that has been opened up. We've been freed from the rules, freed from the law, in order that we have this new way to live, to live in Christ, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the solution to all this legalism? The answer is death. Oh, that's encouraging. But that's what Paul says. The answer is death. And we see what death means in these verses. Paul tells us that we need to die to the law so that we can be free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, next week, God willing, we will see that there is a good use for the law in our lives. But here Paul is teaching us that we cannot be saved through keeping the law. We cannot be sanctified through keeping the law. And Paul starts his argument by referring to something that we all know in a very obvious way. Do you not know, he says in verse 1, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, you say, well, I don't know all the details of the law. I guess there are a fair number of rules that you know about and probably a good number of rules that you have. So Paul says, you know what I'm talking about here. I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. That's just obvious. So this is not rocket science. This is not some big theological point that is so difficult for us to get. If you're dead, then you're not subject to the law. That's just an obvious statement. But it is something that needs to be brought to the focus of our attention. We need to realize the obvious in order that we can live in the good of what is obvious. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And as long as we are alive, we are bound to the laws of the country in which we live. But when we die, we are set free from those laws. Now Paul then gives us an example of death to a particular law. In verse 2, for example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. Now, back then, everybody understood the law of marriage. Now, don't complicate the simple point that Paul is making by applying modern views of marriage or modern feminist ideas here. This verse, it's not a handbook on marriage. It's not a handbook on male leadership. It's a simple illustration about what death does to a law. So the law of marriage, it ends with death. End of illustration. 
end of point. Do not carry the illustration on any further. Don't try to build a systematic theology out of this. Paul is doing something very simple. He's referring to the law of marriage as it applies to women. Now you say, why didn't he pick on the husband? Well, he didn't. He chose the wife. Get over it. He's trying to make a simple point. That is, when this particular law of marriage, it is broken upon death. That's all he's seeking to do. And don't get hung up by trying to move uh, other ideas into that. And then in verse 3 he says, So then, if she has, if the wife has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an, an adulteress if she marries another man. So there you are. The, the law of the marriage is broken when the husband dies. Now, if you're thinking about questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, about why Paul says the wife was bound but, the, but doesn't mention anything about the husband being bound, you are in great danger of missing the point that he's trying to make. If we try and get these two verses to teach more than the main point that Paul is trying to make, then we're going to get ourselves into difficulty. Paul's point is to illustrate death ends the relationship with the law and in this case leaves the wife free to enter into a new relationship. And that's the way it is with us. <clears throat> we have died to the law and now we are free from that law to enter into our new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't try to enter that new relationship through keeping the law. We die to the law. The law is dead to us. And we enter this new way, this new living way of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> so my brothers and sisters, he says in verse 4, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. If we do not die to the law in Christ, we will not rise in Christ to live in this new relationship. The important thing is that if we are a Christian, then we ought to realize that our relationship to sin and the law has changed. We have died in Christ. Therefore, we should not continue to sin and we should not seek to make ourselves acceptable to God through keeping the law. We are free in Christ to bear fruit for Christ. It is the relationship that we have with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ that makes us holy, not the keeping of our petty little rules that we have surrounded ourselves with. Before we came to Christ, we were described by Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, 
without hope and without God in the world. Well, that is no longer the case. Now that we are in Christ, we are free to bear fruit. We can bear fruit through having access to the Father through the Son. Now, <clears throat> I want you to imagine if someone came to you and said that they were anxious. What would you tell them? Paul says in Philippians 4, 5-7, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The temptation that we deal with in Romans 7 is the temptation to do things ourselves. For example, this person that is anxious, what we tend to do is to tell them to do something. We tell them to do prayer. We point them to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where it tells them, do not be anxious, but to prayer. So we tell them, do prayer. Then when you say, when you do prayer, you will not be anxious. But there is something else that is very important for us to note that Paul says in verse 5, when he tells us, first of all, that the Lord is near. It's not in our doing. It's not even in our praying. But it is in the realization that the Lord is near. Our prayers do not solve the anxiety. It is the Lord and the nearness of the Lord that makes the difference. But we want to point them. Get your little notebook out. And get your prayer topics, one, two, three, four, line them up. And spend half an hour praying about it. Now, it's a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to have a prayer list. But here we see in Romans chapter 7, when we see the need to be more holy or more spiritual, the temptation is to feel that we need to do something. The point Paul is making is all the doing has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ and we are now free. We have liberty to be able to bear fruit for the Lord. We are dead to the doing and the keeping of the law as a means of salvation and sanctification and life is not in our deeds but in a person. The Lord is near our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul again reflects on what life was like before we became Christians. In verse 5 of chapter 7, he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit unto death. Now when Paul uses the term flesh here, he is contrasting the sinful nature before conversion with, the, with life in the Spirit after conversion. But Paul only has two groups in mind in chapter 7 and chapter 8. 
the unsaved and the saved. Paul is not dealing here with a second-class Christian or some hypothetical breed of Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit because such a person who does not have the Holy Spirit is not a Christian. The contrast is between the old way of unconverted death to the new way of life in the Spirit. Why does Paul take us over this contrast again? Simply because he's trying to persuade us to keep away from legalism and putting ourselves under the bondage of laws and rules in order to try to please God. In unconverted death, we can see the effect that the law has upon us. For when we were, were in the realm of the flesh, when we were unconverted, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. <coughs> now let me give you an example. What do you do? What's your instinct? When you see the sign, keep off the grass, what do we do? We walk on the grass. Now imagine a shop owner putting up a sign in his front window. The sign would read, You are forbidden to throw stones at my window and break this window. It wouldn't survive a single Friday night, would it? It's like an invitation to break it. The law is good, but it incites in us something which breaks the law. Not just sin in me because I am a weak sinner, but sin in me because I am a rebel, rebelling against God and against God's law. St. Augustine tells us in his confessions how, as a teenage boy, how he stole apples or pears from an orchard. He said, I didn't really want the apples, I just simply enjoyed the joy of stealing, the joy of doing something wrong. The fruit that we bore in those days, says Paul, was a fruit that led to death. Paul's life before he became a Christian was, by any standard, a very upright life, keeping the law to the very letter. But it was not life in the spirit. It did not please God. And it was in fact an evil way of living because he was self-righteous. His attitude was evil because he lived in such a way that said, I don't need God in order for me to be right with God. Paul introduces this new way in verse 6 by saying, but now... That's what you need to underline in your Bible. But now, this is the way that it is. Don't be going back there. Don't be trying that old way again. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we are released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. <clears throat> now in Christ, we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not producing bad fruit that leads to death, but producing good fruit that leads to life and to peace 
a life that is pleasing to God because it is a life that is lived in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we do not have to go back to that old way of rule-keeping. We pray, our God, that you will help us to see the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would seek to follow him to bear fruit in order to glorify him. Help us, we pray, for Christ the Savior's sake. Amen. Now let's